No, that'll come later, and we'll probably yell at each other more over that movie then. Oh, I, 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 I imagine our Star Wars review goes one of two ways. Either I like it and you hate it, or I hate it and you like it. I'm, I'm having a really hard time imagining a world where this movie pleases both of us. I'll tell you right now, I've already, I was telling my buddy this, so I'm going to go see it with. I've already set up in my mind that this is going to be, I'm, I'm going to be pleased and placated, but I'm not going to love it. That's that. That's what I'm. I'm going for here. I'm. I'm. I'm imagining that this script was half J.J. Uh, Abrams and Lawrence Kasdan really coming up with some really interesting ideas to elevate this franchise and take it out of the gutter that George Lucas drove it into with the prequels. But the other half is a checklist from from their new corporate masters in Disney saying these fucking things have to be in there. Okay, we just spent a billion dollars on this. You need to make this money back. So we're going to have this, we're going to have this, we're going to have this, and we're going to have this. You give J.J. Abrams way too much credit. And they're going to go, okay, we'll find a way to shoehorn Darth Vader into this. Sorry, you know, we'll do what we can do. J.J. Abrams is at least half a hack. So there's going to be half, it's going to be half Disney checklist and half interesting story. And as long as it's not too obvious that it's a checklist movie, I'm going to be okay. Yeah. I hate checklist movies, which is ironic because I tend to enjoy some of the better Bond movies, even though there's a pretty obvious checklist for James Bond. You ain't kidding, Jack. <laughs> Skyfall. No, this is not just Skyfall. All James <laughs> Bond movies must include the four following scenes in whatever order you so choose. James Bond must rendezvous with Q at some given point to receive gear. This may be deeply impractical. It may be as simple as new model gun, and a car. That can vary. James Bond must seduce a woman who is then either immediately killed or never heard from again. (laughs) James Bond must be captured by the villain at some point in your movie. This may or may not lead to torture and may or may not actually advance the story in any way, but it must happen. And James Bond must destroy the car that he has been given. Every single time. Before this goes any further, let me say two things. Number one, uh, if you listen to last week's Long Road to Ruin with myself and Sean, which, which aired on Friday because of reasons, uh, I've already given, a, I've already broke down my feelings about Skyfall. Uh, I, I was bored to, sh- I wouldn't say I hated it, but I was bored to shit by it. I think it's a terrible movie. Uh, I know that makes me in, a, in the minority and, you know, the most of the world loves Skyfall. Well, I didn't and I'm not most of the world. I don't care. But I don't want to repeat myself again with that tonight, but there's going to be some comparisons to Skyfall here. And so if you feel like I'm not explaining myself fully, go back and listen to that podcast for more rationale, number one. Number two, uh, Monica Bellucci, still hot. And oh, yeah. Scene, <laughs> and I'd like to begin this review by saying, when did James Bond get way rapey? Because that scene where he's like half molesting Monica Bellucci, half questioning her, made me uncomfortable. I felt sorry for Monica Bellucci. And she, uh, was, and she was in the Matrix movies. She deserves some degree of punishment. But that I felt was a bridge too far. You know, I would really need a woman's perspective on to whether or not that came across as rapey. Because, I, I got no, I, I, again, I can't comment on that. 
I, I got nothing. I just absolutely, I got nothing there. I have no legitimate but, perspective one way or the other. It didn't make, it didn't give you the willies. It didn't, it didn't give you sort of, uh, you know, creepy skin, skin crawly feeling. No. Let's move on, please. <laughs> <laughs> All right, for those of you who may not have, again, we are reviewing Spectre this evening, the latest James Bond movie. Uh, financially, it's already a success. Uh, this movie has done smashingly well overseas. Big opening here in the United States, 80-some-odd million. It made which, ought to tell you, which, which ought to tell you, Mark, in its opening weekend, James Bond couldn't double its budget. James Bond you're, you're about double- to lose that bet, sir. Oh. <laughs> okay, if you're going to bring up the, what, what, what happened off, uh, in, in the chat, you actually have to give full context. But uh, right. be- Mark and I kind of got, for next year's schedule, there is some debate about whether or not Gambit will actually be on the list. That, you that depends on if anything... Okay. That depends on if anything that looks like, you know, not deep-fried ass decides to come out that weekend. <laughs> And I just I think Gambit's going to fail financially, critically on every possible level. Mark and I and Gavin Napier from the Casual Heroes have a bit of a bet going. Mark is insistent that Gambit will make double its budget in its opening weekend. I, I am I am crying foul on that on all different kinds of levels. Well, here let's let's look at Spectre. But that's the joke there. Anyway, my point anyway, to move this to, again further. So yeah, my point there. James Bond couldn't double its budget opening weekend. Gambit has no chance in hell. Mark will be paying up. However, moving on. Uh, I got the numbers here. I'm on box office mojo. All right, so 83 million domestic total as of November 10th. Um, its foreign gross uh, was much more. It's 219 million for grand well, total. It's been out for a couple of weeks over there. Uh, depending on where it is. 302 million 261,709 dollars. Um, it was the number one ranked movie in, in almost 4,000 theaters on average, uh, and its production budget was 245 million. So it's made more than its budget at this time, and, and I'm sure it'll can oh, go you on. You also know that we're only betting on the domestic gross for Gambit, right? What now? We're, the Gambit the Gambit bet only involves the domestic U.S. gross, not the worldwide. That's for fuck's sake. I'm I'm betting that it's really well in France. All right, now let's, let's focus on... Sure, because Channing Tatum butchering that particular language will work out so well. Anyway. If, if you could consider your Spectre. age just a moment and, and stay with Spectre, please. Uh, this movie has... It's been pretty divisive. A lot of the people who have seen it have loved it. I believe its cinema score is still a high A, A minus, I believe. Might have dipped a little bit lower now that more people have seen it, but I think it's still in that range. Critics have been, again, it's divided critics more than it has fans, I think. Uh, I think a lot of the criticism from what I've seen is relatively unfair, is not accurate criticism. Uh, A couple of people have, what was that? Real quick, Rotten Tomatoes, um, it's 65% fresh. And the audience score is 69% liked it. Check the cinema score, uh, which I believe has a is a better 
it's a better gauge for the viewers, uh, for the casual fan, for the you know casual viewers than it, than the Rotten Tomatoes website users are. But uh, a minus. Okay. Uh, again, I think Cinema Score is generally a more accurate gauge of the average fan than Rotten Tomatoes is. Gem in the Holograms, B plus. <sighs> well, apparently those who saw it were happy with it. Paranormal Activity of the Ghost Dimension, C. Uh, I imagine there's a lot of people who just walked out of that movie and didn't rate it at all, because why would you? Gem in the anyway. Holograms, a better cinema score than um, Our Brand is Crisis. Well, our brand is crisis is crap. So, <laughs> all right, move th- on. there's a lot to be said there for managing expectations as well. Let's be fair about that too. Fair but enough. as far as Spectre goes, uh, I'll go ahead and run down the plot for you guys. So be aware there are spoilers. Not that there's anything to really spoil in this movie. The trailers tell you everything. That it's a James <laughs> Bond movie. You're not really James going Bond to. Win. Uh, the movie opens with James Bond killing someone in Mexico City I will yell about that later because there's two parts about that whole sequence that I really like and then there's the silliness Uh, he did this unsanctioned apparently Uh, there's a lot of tension at MI6 where he works because they've been merged with MI5 and Andrew Scott is now in charge of this new collaborative government, and it's always nice to see Andrew Scott get some play. Oh, that poor guy. I felt bad for him in this movie. Because, (laughs) no, no, Andrew Scott is actually pretty awesome. I think anyone who has seen the BBC Sherlock series will agree with me there. For those of you who don't know, or have seen that and don't know what I'm talking about, he plays Moriarty. Relatively awesome. Uh, he, he doesn't have a whole lot to do here. Poor Ray Fiennes, uh, M, doesn't have a lot to do other than Glower. That's kind of the sum total. And Ray Fiennes is a great actor. They, all they could do is have him glowering at Andrew Scott for 80% of his screen time. Uh, James Bond is on the trail of this organization that may or may not exist, uh, in part because uh, the late M, Judy Dench, left him a message telling, giving him clues as to this. Uh, He utilizes these clues to find – he goes to the funeral of the man he killed, finds uh, this hitman's now widow, Monica Bellucci, who is still an exceptionally beautiful woman. I don't care how old she is. That woman is gorgeous. Can I stop you for a second? Sure. Just because I I sometimes enjoy torturing you. Transformers. Transformers A. Transformers Revenge of the Fallen, B+. Transformers Dark of the Moon, A. Transformers Age of Extinction, A-. All on CinemaScore. Are you sure you trust this website? I trust that website to be a relatively accurate gauge of the casual audience. Okay, just second. I do not trust it to be an accurate gauge of quality. In many cases, it's an inverse indicator of intelligence to the general population. (laughs) I just wanted to share that with you. I'll shut up now. Look, again... My complaints about the Transformers franchise are many, are numerous, I believe are valid, but have never included, but have never included, oh, the fans of this franchise are so deeply disappointed. 
Because <laughs> I'm relatively sure fans of those movies know what they're getting into and enjoy themselves. And God bless you all for taking those people with their head trauma to the theater. <laughs> all right, I'll be good. I'm shutting up now. Shut up, shut up. <laughs> All right, again, he meets with Monica Bellucci, gets some information out of her, in typical James Bond must seduce random woman. He utilizes this to locate a meeting where we get our first look at Christoph Waltz, who I really want to have a discussion about a little bit because, oh, he's so misused in this movie. Uh, he gets into a car chase with Dave Batista, who doesn't speak. And serves no purpose other than, hey, we need an action sequence at this point in the movie. Well, throw Batista in there. Best performance by that man ever. That is not true. He was much better as Drax the Destroyer. Drax was a much Drax was a poorly written character, but he was perfectly believable as him. Nope. This is his best work yet. This is not at all his best work. This is no. <laughs> Again, doesn't speak, has like one word before he's killed. Uh, which is, again, James Bond henchmen run the gambit from completely and utterly forgettable to moderately passable. And he falls somewhere in the middle. Uh, after this meeting, he goes and finds Mr. White from Quantum of Solace, because I really needed a reminder about that movie's existence when I was sitting there trying to enjoy this one. <laughs> Seriously, Quantum of Solace is just a mess. An absolute mess. I believe the phrase I use is pile of shit. Yeah, that's a bit much. There's a few there are a few good things about Quantum of Solace. Uh yes, all the credits. No. There the are a are few hot. good things. None of hot. them involve the writing. The cinematography's nice. Cinematography's nice. A couple of the action sequences are well put together. The again, that movie would have been served so much better to simply be James Bond has gone off the rails and is on a revenge trip than what it tried to be. So much better. And Olga Kurilenko is really, really nice to look at. Yes, you were saying. And she's also a believable female action star, which I think she doesn't get enough credit for. Anyway, he goes and he meets with Mr. White, Ugh, who dies this time, which made me happy. After revealing the existence of his daughter, who the man in charge of Spectre, again, Christoph Waltz, is using to blackmail him. After his death, his daughter is then in danger because there's no more reason for her to stay alive. James Bond rescues her while flying a, a plane far too low to the ground and being shot at with an improbable gun by Dave Bautista. <laughs> I, have a hu I have huge gripes with, that, with whole segments of that sequence. Just huge. But he does save her. Dave Batista survives despite being propelled headfirst through a windshield. That will kill you. God. Do I do I need to go on to my casino royale or my Skyfall rant? I have. I do not disagree with you at all about that. Uh, I'm on again. Let's be clear about that. Your rants about James Bond should not be able to do these things at this point. He's a superhero. You are completely accurate. And it okay. bothers me. Look, it bothers me when superheroes do it in many ways. Until I remind myself, you, no, this is a stupid comic book movie. Turn your brain off. For those of you who want to, who want me, who want to hear me scream with reference to Casino Royale, that nigga did over a hundred times. Uh, please check out the Long Road to Ruin Daniel Craig James Bond series, previewed, uh, re bleh, 
debuted last Thursday here on the Rattle of the Broadcasting Network. And if you'd like to hear me scream about James Bond falling off several cliffs into a waterfall and somehow living, please check out the Daniel Congro to ruin. Uh, you already got that. Go on. Anyway, De- James Bond saves this uh, his daughter. I forget her name. She's not... I don't know. Their romance felt terribly forced to me. I mean, just terribly yeah, forced. That, that was the... I was with it when she was giving him the cold shoulder in Africa. You know, she she was uh, she was like, I don't even want to be here with you. you. You're more trouble than you're worth. I was with it. When, when um, and I'll let you finish your plot synopsis, but when they're on the train and suddenly they fall madly in love with each other because she put on a dress, I was like, that's it. I'm pissing and taking and getting, going to get popcorn. Yeah, it it's deeply forced to try and underscore the narrative of James Bond being done. And it you, that's a fine narrative, but you shoehorned this in. It was not necessary. He, he didn't need to be in love with. Why is it always a woman that makes? If, if Batman ends his career over a woman, no, everyone's ending their careers over women. You know, sometimes you could just be done. Maybe punching people in the face is no longer what you want to do with your life. And then there's nothing to do with a woman. I, uh, I would agree. Again, I agree completely. It, it was. It was shoehorned. It was forced. It was not at all necessary. I, I feel like these writers in Hollywood romanticize relationships because, if anything, my relationships with women have wanted had made me want to punch people in the face repeatedly. Hey, uh, we're dealing with Hollywood writers. I'm not entirely sure how many of them have legitimate, fulfilling relationships. Or they fantasize them. <laughs> all right, let's move on. Uh, anyway, he finds this woman, rescues her, uses information he gets from her to get more information about where Christoph Waltz is hiding in northern Africa, a stretch of desert that's supposed to not have anything. It is, in fact, you know, the location of his super-secret base, which I'm, I don't, actually don't hate that. There are huge stretches of desert that you could completely take over and no one would notice. Really, really I'm not complaining about that at all. Uh, While there, we get this I really hated because it was so – it was so stupid. Stupid is not the right word. It was so, hey, we have to dump all this exposition. Here's a good spot for it. Yeah. And that that whole – I felt like that that whole – the setup to him being in danger in that scene because the actual – when he's captured, I actually like that sequence. But the setup to him getting captured was really awkward. Uh, some of it was, some of it wasn't. Then, And again, my big gripe is when they've actually got him strapped to the chair and Christoph Waltz is, oh, by the way. Now, why do I hate him? Sure. Here's what should have been, you know, a, you know exposition spread out over the course of the entire movie. Allowed to give, allowed to be given emotional weight and some kind of gravitas, and we'll just throw it all at you in the space of three minutes. Yeah, like I said, a little awkward, a little forced. Uh, they escape because James Bond must always escape his encaptured predicament, even if it's the end of the movie, which it has been in a few cases. Uh, Doctor No, specifically, if memory serves. Can we come and- Hang, hang on, let's keep going. But bring me, But when we talk about this again, can we talk about the watch? Because I thought that was a large, or fairly huge inconsistency in the movie. I will disagree with you slightly there, but okay. Well, oh, no, hang on, then. I'll talk about this now. Q yeah. tells him it's just a watch, and then it turns out to be a bomb. Q 
also the... tells him the alarm's a little loud, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Just, it was this was the opposite problem of of Skyfall, you know, telling him his body's in shambles and there's no way he can be an agent again. You know, and Sean referred to the situation as sort of Chekhov's gun. Uh, this is the opposite of that. They set nothing up, and then there's a huge they, no, reveal. They oh, did. It's when he hands him the watch, Q tells him in this, and again, some of this is delivery, in that same way that, you know, a spy quartermaster tells a spy, by the way, without actually saying it, he tells him, no, the alarm's really loud, if you know what I mean. And Bond kind of looks at the watch, looks back at him, and goes, oh, I think I know what you mean. Oh, there's no reason to be cheeky. Just tell him it's a fucking bomb. I'm not disagreeing with that. I'm disagreeing again. If it again, if I were giving a spy a bomb that was located in a watch, yeah. By the way, there's a bomb. Don't push this button. Okay, but that's my point. There's you know, that, that's supposed to be this big aha moment. And I'm like, what's he fiddling with the watch for? He was told it was a watch. What's he gonna do? Pull a screw out of there? And, I knew know, it was a bomb. Buckle? Good for you, smarty. <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't. They did everything but British. say, "Hey, there's a bomb in your watch." I feel like plain, I don't like things that are subtle. <laughs> Sorry. I didn't pick up the fact that he was telling him it was a bomb. And so when that entire sequence takes place, I'm like, I don't get what he's doing now. And then when no, he turns was... out it is a bomb, I'm like, where did that come from? No, no, that was set up. That was foreshadowed. I would have been more annoyed if they didn't do anything with the watch, honestly. Because, right, again, right. Chekhov's gun. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm not going to argue with you. I'm just telling you it was lost in a dimwit like myself. Okay. Uh, uh, oh, okay, fair enough. That's about as, uh, again, we had this reverse issue when we reviewed the third Hobbit movie. I was like, wait a minute, how, exa- how old is Aragorn exactly? Because this takes place 60 years before. And you said, no, no, he's one of these guys who actually, like, he's 90. They established that he's 90 in two towers. And, okay, complaint withdrawn. <laughs> right. He was one of the do or die. All right. Anyway. So, but- the bond's in the dentist chair, getting drills. Go. Yeah, uh, that was actually a really kind of yeah. It, you know, that scene kind of gave me a little bit of the creeps, which it's supposed to. Yes, that was a great scene. That's one of uh, the They escape. They then stand. Oh, they stand way too close to this exploding complex. By which I mean, right outside, and just completely ignore the physics of an explosion <laughs> for the sake of a cool. Ugh. I, I, I thought that really scene was directed by Robert Rodriguez. Yeah, it, it did. It looked like something he would do. <laughs> and they then, uh, Christoph Waltz is apparently killed. They return to London to try and stop the Nine Eyes program from becoming a thing. Now, this is a subplot that runs throughout the rest of the movie and serves no real purpose other than to provide... Its purpose is to provide them at the end of the movie with this thing goes online at midnight. We must stop it now. That's, but it's more than that. It was uh, it was relevant in terms of what's going on now with you know with the collection of information and spying on your own citizens and whatnot. I thought I thought it made the movie relevant in that way. Um, also, I thought it was an interesting way of tying together this bureaucrat with this villain. And saying that you know that, that they're at dual purpose in the sense of, you know, he, I, I, I thought C was a very good villain in that sense that he saw the world a certain way and thought that this was the means, this was a means to an end 
that he felt benefited his country. And, you know, and it's at cross purposes with Ralph Fiennes and the whole 007 program and their philosophy. So I actually thought it was needed, and I thought it told. A, I thought the subplot told a good story. I suppose I should re- I should slightly revise my criticism in that entirely too much time is spent on it, especially when you consider other aspects of this movie that could have been given more time. You're right. They should have spent more time on the Transformers. No, no, <laughs> that is not even close to the same ballpark level of complaint. All right. I don't want to drag this review down by bringing up every other review we've done. Uh, Although a movie of just the Transformers would be better because there wouldn't be Shia LaBeouf or Mark Wahlberg. I'll just say that. Last word, Larry. Go on. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, they get back to London. They then try to stop the Nine Eyes program from going live. The Nine Eyes program it's supposed to be the centralized data stream of all the of these nine different countries and all their intelligence to then be overseen by this particular group. And this is an Orwellian nightmare. It's so freaking obvious they actually have Ray Fine say, well, this is George Orwell's worst nightmare. Well, that's a good thing, because I don't think anyone in, 19, in, in 2015 knows who George Orwell is. Which is a crying shame. <laughs> Just throwing that out there. You're not wrong. You you know, you're really not. And again, it's a crying shame, but you're not wrong. Uh, James Bond is captured en route to their attempt to stop C, played by, again, Andrew Scott, who I have something of a soft spot for. Uh, Turns out Christoph Waltz did not actually die. Uh, They take, he is captured uh, Bond's girlfriend again, because why not? Uh, in the remnants of the old built of the old uh, MI6 headquarters that are going to be demolished, they actually set that up earlier in the movie, so it's not coming out of left field, which I appreciate. Uh, they then say, "Okay, you can." So Bond has to get her and rescue her, while Ray Fines and Q are trying to shut down this program, and then they're going to take Andrew Scott in, and all is going to be made well in the court of public opinion. Uh, Andrew Scott actually dies because he's a little wuss, which is fine, especially standing next to Ray Fiennes, who is – Ray Fiennes can be a very physical presence when he chooses to be. And and they, they eventually succeed. Christoph Waltz is captured after James Bond demonstrates exponentially more accuracy with a Walther PPK over a greater distance at moving targets than is humanly possible. (laughs) <laughs> that gun is not that accurate or that forceful over that far over that great a distance. You're both unmoving. It just no. However. So did you know? Let me share a fun fact with you. Maybe it changes your mind. Did you know that James Bond used to target um, Womp Rats with his T forty eight space hopper back home? No, that does not make me feel better. <laughs> It's established that womp rats are two meters or roughly six feet tall. That's a much easier target than a small fuel line on the side of a helicopter at twice the distance while you're moving and your target is moving. I I screwed up that line. It's a line from Star Wars. (laughs) Fucked it up. Which I hope no one knows because I really kind of wish that franchise would go away. Anyway... This is a big Star Wars fan. It's like, no, it's not what it is. This is the line, you asshole. 
Hey, look, why would I care if you botch a line from Star Wars? You wouldn't, but there's people listening at home that take that shit very seriously. Well, good for them. So, yeah. So uh, anyway, they the capture Christoph Waltz, James Bond walks away, and steals one final car from MI6 and Q before driving off into the sunset with his new love. Well, he steals his car. Uh, yeah, that is his car, actually. I forgot. That he won in Casino Royale. No, that's not the one he won in Casino Royale. That's his old family car that he unveiled in uh, Skyfall. Was it? Yeah. yeah I, thought it was the, I thought it was the one that he won. Oh, well, either way, it was a either way it was a personal car to bond. It made sense. That yeah, that was it. his. Yeah, that was his personal car. So, my apologies. Needed to correct that. Thank you for again. I, thank you for correcting me on that. Bond reclaims his uh, vintage Aston Martin and drives off into the sunset with whatever Sado. Right. All right. Where do you want to begin? Uh, I said this to you before we got going, and. I think it bears repeating in this particular instance. I feel this movie could have been so much better than it was. All right. Let me start off by saying I really like this movie. Um, I, I, I still think Casino Royale is the best, but this one is very close to it, in my opinion. Um, I, like, I certainly like this one more than Quantum of Shit and Skyfall. Uh, I, I really think they ended on a strong note. I really enjoyed this movie. I liked the pacing of it, which I know is a problem for some people. It's paced a little too slow, but I... Those people are are whiny babies. I want my explosions. You know, but you're talking to somebody who has watched The Deer Hunter on multiple occasions. I I like slow. You know, I I like... I don't want to be bored, but but if you're telling me a story with beats and the plot's moving along, but you're taking your time to show me things, to establish relationships, to build things up, to... Show things off that you're going that you're, that they're going to pay off later. Okay, I'll be with you, and I'm willing to take that you know two and a half hour ride. And I don't need every five minutes something to go boom, Sherlock Lux, boom, all right now. I just don't. And, and for I some reason, we live in a society that is confused, slow with boring. And so I understand if there's people out there that go that went into a James Bond film expecting it to be a, essentially a demo reel of action sequences strung together. But that's not what I wanted. And as I said on The Long Road to Rowan, that's partially why I stopped watching James Bond movies to begin with. Because that's what they became. Um, that's not what this is. This is, a, this is an old-school classic espionage story with action sequences you know, strewn about, but spaced enough apart that I could actually enjoy the, you know, the expository scenes, the relationship-building scenes, you know, scenes where there's an excessive amount of dialogue, you know, people, I could actually watch people act on screen in an action movie. And while uh, so folks like my father, you know, take away from this movie because of the action scenes, I'll forgive them in the face of the fact that I actually got to watch people act and not just react to stuff going kablooey around them. Well, and again, this is another thing I brought up with you offline. I think the James Bond franchise, by and large, since it's in since its inception, has completely killed the legitimate spy and espionage genre. Much the same way Star Wars took sci-fi out and shot it in the head. <laughs> because Star look, st- you've, you know this, and anyone with half a brain knows this, 
Star Wars is not a science fiction movie. No, it's a fantasy movie. It's not in outer space with laser guns. Right. But for some reason, everyone classifies it as science fiction, and that leaked into the popular culture to the extent that, hey, if it's in space, it's sci-fi. No. It's not how that works. You could not make Dune today. Nor should you, really. That's I don't like Dune. <laughs> but, no, I know. mean, we're, we're actually in a bit of a resurgence because we've had a couple of decent, legitimate sci-fi movies the last few years. <clears throat> Space bookcase. I like Interstellar. I'm sorry if you don't. <laughs> I've never seen it. Just, but seen even it. this year, we had The Martian this year, which is a sci-fi movie. Which was excellent. And you can hear our review of that excellent movie here in the Rattlers and Broadcasting Network by digging into the archives. Yeah, it's, again, it deals with fictional science and the circumstances surrounding it. For it to be a sci-fi movie, the science must play a critical role in your movie. Otherwise, you do not have a sci-fi movie. You have another kind of movie, which is not, that's not a condemnation. Just don't misidentify them. Mission, the Mission Impossible franchise outside of the first one, the Bond franchise excepting maybe two in the entirety of those movies, and the Bourne movies by and large killed legitimate espionage thrillers because everyone thinks they have to be action movies that are theoretically set in the intelligence community. So I've said this about the Batman franchise. I said, you know, and it goes to what you're saying. That instead of creating a thoughtful piece where, where your protagonist has to solve a mystery and move, and move the action that way, your protagonist instead punches things to death, and that's what moves the plot forward. There's no figuring things out. There's no mystery involved. It's just punch, punch, explosion, punch, punch, exposition, punch, punch. It, it, it's ruined Batman, and as you're saying, it's ruined the espionage genre because that's all they've become, a series of punches and explosions. The only legitimate espionage movie I can recall in the last seven years, give or take, was uh, the Gary Oldman starred Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, uh, which is an absolutely phenomenal spy movie, but the fact that that's the only one I can think of should tell you something about how bad, about the poor state of the genre. Instead, we have Tom Cruise blowing everything up, hanging off of taking off airplanes, Surviving impossible crashes, James Bond getting shot in the chest, falling 20 stories into a river, surviving a waterfall, surviving going over a waterfall. Uh, it, it's not what that genre is. And these movies and the, sub, and the subsequent confusion about their classification have caused all of this. And it bothers me. So I feel like this movie harkens back, though, to what we're talking about and that I felt like this was a legitimate spy movie, or at the very least, it slowed down enough to tell you a, a tale of mystery. You know, James Bond goes... James Bond spends more time trying to, trying to ascertain, develop, collect clues, and, and figure out what's going to be the next move than he does just sort of globe-hopping and punching things. And, I, and I'm going to say this now, because it's probably going to come up again later... As far as people who didn't like the movie, I'm going to imagine that's why. No one went into a James Bond movie expecting to see a, expecting to see a mystery or a spy tale. They went in there to see, you know, to see an action movie, and that's what they got instead. 
So I know the theater I saw it in, I heard people kind of grumbling and, you know, kind of throwing the popcorn down in disgust going, what the fuck? Nothing blew up in this movie except that one time. And, you know, that wasn't quite enough for me. Meanwhile, as I said, uh, four stars. Loved it. This is the kind of movie I want to see James Bond in. However, I also never want to see James Bond ever again in another movie because they ended this one perfectly. I almost feel they would have done better in many ways ending it, ending the Daniel Craig era after Skyfall because that leaves the door open for the franchise more to continue. Whereas no, no, in this sense, hang on, no let me finish. <laughs> no more James Bond. Whereas in this instance, this is kind of like, and I think I brought this up, this is Sam Mendes ending his you know stint with James Bond this way does the same thing that Christopher Nolan kind of did with Batman in that both good and bad, and there's both good and bad in both of those. He left such an indelible imprint, everyone's perception of that franchise that it's almost impossible to just hand it over to someone else and say, here we go, pick it back up. And if you, Again, if he's done after Skyfall, there's places you can go with the character. Now they're kind of left holding the bag trying to figure out, well, because, again, we're making money. This movie's going to make a lot of money. What are we going to do for the next James Bond movie? Well, we need a new Bond because Daniel Craig's apparently done, which is not the worst thing in the world. Even, again, Craig did a phenomenal job with the character. By the way, I have when we get to the end of this review – you know, where do they go with James Bond from here? I had your answer. I haven't. No, your out. answer sucks. I know what it is. <laughs> no, it's got it's got better since then. Uh, no, your I know what your answer is, and I don't want to see it ever. <laughs> oh, you have to talk about it. You have to ask me. I don't have to. I probably will, but I don't have to. If for no other reason, I can tell you all the reasons you're wrong. <laughs> all right, let's move on. Uh, anyway, I get my big gripe with this movie, and I mentioned this a little bit earlier, I think it should have been better. I agree with you. I like the pacing. I like the fact that they kind of slowed everything down. Let's actually tell the story. Uh, that being said, there's a few... This movie is not boring, but it is slow, and you have to be ready for that. It feels as long as it is. It really does. Uh, some of the action sequences seem just tacked on. Just like, well, we need this here. And at that point, hey, we've got Batista under contract. Here, you, show up, do this. <laughs> Still face Batista's best work. And I will continue to disagree with you. He was a much better autistic murder bot than he was here. I like to See, I enjoyed Batista's presence. You know, when he walks in at the, at the first act of the movie and and uh, he, you know, he kills the guy at the table and all that, I thought he did more with his body than many people do by, you know, speaking their dialogue. And while he... Oh, he's... He, uh, he, he Batista so has much, good physical presence. He also has good physical acting, which is yes. a very... Which is a hugely lost art nowadays. People don't understand how to act with more than just their face. See, you know, uh, just to sort of link this to professional wrestling, since we were talking about Batista, you know, you look at a guy like Brock Lesnar. Brock Lesnar looks like Hitler's wet fucking dream, okay? He is, you know, he, he, he is the uber male. 
uh, he, he is just Viking warrior come to life. And then he talks, and you're like, ugh. <laughs> I can't. Like, if you just heard him talk, you're like, I could beat that guy up. No problem. What a wimpy sounds like. And then you see him, you're like, hey, your voice doesn't match your body at all. An even worse version of that, uh, for those of you that don't follow professional wrestling, Bobby Lashley, who many people jokingly refer to as Black Lesnar, had an even higher, more ridiculous-sounding voice, um, but was you know just as buff and cut up and you know and, and looked like a brick shit house. I and mean, Lashley should never speak. I mean, this is a big thing, kind of with Brazilians, and I think it has to do with Portuguese as a language. I mean, Anderson Silva's voice, for example. Yeah. Anderson Silver Voice, one of the at one time one of the most dangerous people on the planet, and he sounds like a girl. So, you know, I I just so getting back to Batista, Batista is one of those guys where you know for the purposes of Drax, where where he has to be flat and you know and autistic. Okay, fine, it was it was fine. I'm being serious now, but I would prefer to, I would prefer to continue to see him in roles where he speaks very little because I feel like he did a great job with just his body presence. And let's face it, no one's hiring him for his great acting skill or his ability to deliver dialogue. They're hiring no, his him oratory is not a factor in his resume. No. They, they, when people are looking at pictures of Dave Bautista, they're not going, hey, how does he deliver monologues? Because we have, you know, we'd like to put him in a remake of The King and I. Nope. <laughs> they're going, ooh, you look like a jacked up piece of beef. How would you like to play the henchman in a James Bond movie? Fantastic. No, I mean, again, I like his physical presence. It's more, I, my gripe is more how he's used, I suppose would be, again, my gripe there. I I have to bring this up. Mark, I know Christoph Waltz is a tremendous actor. I have seen, on more than one occasion, the depth of his abilities as a thespian. Why can't anyone besides Quentin Tarantino use him properly? Look, I feel like this movie had a lot of things on the table it needed to accomplish. And, I, and yes, Christoph Waltz could have been used more, but I felt like, just like in the last movie, they have this thing about not introducing the, the villain until the middle uh, of the movie as this big reveal. You know, I, it's funny because they compared uh, the last villain in Skyfall to the Joker, but you know they they really did base the Dark Knight around the Joker. That was sort of his movie. Uh, coincidentally, it was very similar in the first Batman movie with Michael Keaton, but that that's a whole other co- topic of conversation. Um, I, I feel like one of one of the frameworks of of, of the of these Bond movies is the villain is almost an afterthought. You know, we want to set up all these other things going on with James Bond. Uh, we have to set up the women. We have to set up this. We have to set up that. We have these elongated action sequences. And then we want this big reveal to happen where, bam, there's the villain. Um, and, but, by, but because of that, you don't meet the villain until half the movie's over. Um, and so the other, your other option would be to introduce Christopher, Christoph Waltz or whoever the villain is early on in the movie, but then you're taking away from James Bond. And so, you know, it's which master do you want to serve? Do you want to, do you, do you want to tell the best story you can, or do you want to give the people what they want? They came to watch James Bond do shit. As much as you and I would like to see them use someone as, as great a caliber and actor as Christoph Waltz, 
I'm not sure people went into the movie really wanting to see much of him in, to begin with. They wanted to see Daniel Craig um, jump from a plane onto a donkey through a wormhole and blow up a planet. Uh, I suppose my other complaint there is I saw Sam Mendes create a great villain, again, in Skyfall with Raul Silva as done by Javier Bardem. I know it can be done. I know he. Can, I know this director can do it. I know this director and writer can do it. I know Christoph Waltz is a good enough actor to do it. What what fell apart here? Well, like I said, I feel like there was a lot that they needed to set up in order to get there, and you know, some things just fall by the wayside. Look, the first the, the, the thing was something that legitimately would have enhanced the overall presentation of the movie. Well, don't get me wrong. That's one of the things that I, I agree with you. When they introduced uh, Spectre, and then they didn't go back to it until almost the end of the second half of the movie, I was like, what? You know, <laughs> what? Where did they go? Why? Why? Why are we only seeing? You know, why are we only seeing them now in Africa? And but we because... need prolonged interactions between James Bond and this woman. But that was the thing is that they is you they just followed Bond the entire time. You never cut away once you have that action sequence in London. Or where are they? Rome at that time? They're in Rome, right? Uh, yeah, they're in Rome. Okay. You cut away twice, um, but it's to M and C dealing with the, you know, getting this program online. All right, so what do you want this movie to be? Three hours? <laughs> you know, Here's the thing about that. If you could, well, first of all, I think I mentioned all the st- a lot of the stuff with, you know, back in London could have been trimmed. How? I feel a lot of it could have been trimmed. How do you cut that stuff and then get to an end where it's anywhere effective unless you cut the entire storyline? No, you can – again, there are things about it that you can cut. Uh, I don't think we need the big uh, committee meeting where they're voting on it. I think showing the aftermath of that voting would be just as effective. I don't know. I feel like, it, I feel like if we – You if cut, we had cut, you cut that, to those three, talking about, to like, the why three British make- guys leaving that room – M saying out, sorry, you know, eight to one, that kind of sucks. You need unanimity. And C goes, ah, the South Africans will come around. I think, again, I think you and I, if they had cut that scene, we'd be wondering where's the scene where they got rid of the 007 program. See, that, that's no, the problem. No, you can still have that. Again, this is – and uh, because you can still have their conversation in the hallway where they discuss these things. But there's things on either side of that that you could remove. See, if they're going to speed something up – Meeting the daughter, I would have sped up. Oh, that great. That went on forever. I mean, not, not the action sequence itself, which I was fine with, but that whole yeah. you know, planes oh. don't work like that. <laughs> I'm not gonna, I am not gonna be a stickler like you are with, with the helicopter and the plane sequence. But you, you know, let, let's move on here. We're looking for places where they could have edited so that they could fit in more Christoph Waltz scenes. I would have probably cut some of that. Because by that point, you've been with Bond for a while. They, they needed to, you know, they, they probably could have broke that up with something else. I also would have cut part of the train sequence. As I said before, when, when she walked out uh, with the dress on, and I know this leads to a fight scene with Batista, but I was like, oh, God, I'm, you know, I'm not bored by this movie. I'm bored by their relationship. Because yeah. you know, they'd already been this, this really long sequence with them in Africa, you know, that sort of played like that Indiana Jones scene in the Temple of Doom, <laughs> where, where he accidentally discovers the tunnel into the Temple of Doom. 
Um, Can I also but, say James Bond in this movie has a really bad penchant for saying of course when previous <laughs> evidence does not warrant that exclamation? Sure. Um, well, he couldn't say, uh, hi, my dear Watson. Um, now, could he? Now, listen, I, I think, you know, you've just had this long sequence with him and her in, in, in um, wherever the hell they were. Uh, Tunisia, I think. Yeah, Tunisia. Um, I, you know, cut some of the train out then. You know, uh, in all honesty, if there was something, instead of, look, I think the whole subplot with the, you know, with the spying and seeing all that needs to stay, and I don't think you cut any of that stuff out. I think you cut out most of the relationship with the gal, and you have him leave and decide that he's not a monster, and that's, and that's it. I don't think he needed to be in love with this woman. And frankly, I don't, need, I don't even think she needed to be in as much peril as she was in in the third act. You could have probably no, she didn't. fucking movie. After the part where, they, where there's a big revelation that uh, he, you know, that he allowed the father to, to commit suicide, I would have much preferred her sort of being on the fence about watching them drill holes in his head and then coming to the conclusion that I'm not a monster. I don't want this man to die, even though I'm not particularly happy with him. She helps him get away and says, okay, Bond, fuck off. And you never see her again in the rest of the movie. That is that. Then you can cut out the entire stupid love story, and you can make time for Christoph Waltz. But this is America, and love must prevail. Oh, and again, a lot of the stuff in London, uh, it I, again, I feel it could be trimmed. I don't think you cut it out. I don't think you cut it out at all. I think it serves the overall narrative. It adds a nice subtext to, you know, where Bond's place in the world is. He in fact obsolete. You know what you can also cut? You know what you can also cut? That entire opening shot. I know everyone likes it. It's really artsy. It's really fun. It's also it also added nothing to the fucking movie. I'm I'm sorry. <sighs> that whole entrance of him walking through the day of the dead with the girl that he then leaves on the bed to go off and just start the movie there. <laughs> you know, a sweeping shot of the day of the dead into the room with Bond and the girl and then go from there. You cut out at least Five minutes of the fucking movie, right there. It's not five minutes, but that the opening sequence in Mexico can certainly be trimmed. I like the fact that it's presented as a single shot. I like that more than the action sequence that follows uh, by leaps and bounds. It's an exercise in jerking off. That's what it was. Can you tell me right now, Robert Winfrey? I am putting you on the stand. What purpose does that entire long shot serve to the serve to the story? Eh, Very little. None. It served nothing. It set nothing up. You could have done the same, just a sweeping shot without having to follow Bond in his stupid getup, in his you know, in his fucking lucha libre outfit, <laughs> and just start the and just the, the the camera sweeps over, and then you know we we uh, we close in on him and the girl in in the thing, and he says I'll be right back, and jumps out the window, and then goes to shoot the guy. And and then cut another few minutes off that stupid helicopter sequence, which went on forever. Uh, helicopters you, don't it, go upside down. You know why they don't go upside down? Because the physics that keep them airborne stop working. Okay. We were talking about, though, how do you fit more Christoph Waltz in? That's how. Cut half of the Mexico shit out. Cut the girl out. You have plenty of time to then put in Christoph Waltz. But again, I mean, but you then, could but again, have a much better to... opening sequence. Even if you keep the long shot, 
But instead of, he shoots an explosive device that for some reason is powerful enough to knock over three buildings. And he just shoots the guy in the head, then we get a brief chase sequence through a crowded street with people trying to catch him but not being able to find him. My father brought up a good point about that. He said, once the buildings got knocked over, why didn't they, or or they heard gunshots, why didn't everyone run like hell? (laughs) Why are everyone hanging around? No, it's a very valid point. Like, wait a minute. People stop reacting normally. Yeah. Like I said, I like Spectre a lot. And despite some of the criticisms we're talking about now, because, you know, as I say, oh, no movies without sin. Um, I, uh, that I, 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 you know, it's a great movie if I forget the Mexico sequence even exists. Because that's a, that's a rough start for me. I, I, I'm sitting there watching that, and I'm just banging my head on the seat going, please, God, don't let this be another Pierce Brosnan movie. And uh, and thankfully, I ended up not being that, and I was completely turned around by the end of the movie. Um, and so was everybody else in the theater, only the other way around. But... Yeah, that, but that Mexico sequence was a rough start for me. I was like, oh, no, not again. I mean, it, again, it starts fine. I'm okay with the shot, if it, with that long shot, if its purpose is to kind of set up that in this particular instance, James Bond is going to be subtle. <laughs> no. Instead I mean, if that, and look, here's the thing. If it leads into that and the whole Mexico sequence is very, again, subtle, intelligent assassination, quick escape, that type of thing. I think it works a lot better, but it's a pretty jarring change to go from what is presented as a single shot. I know it's not done in one take. It's just not. But what is presented as a single shot into ridiculous ridiculous action sequence. Right. I told I told you this offline. I told my anyone who's asked me my opinion of this movie when when the A team the Liam Neeson, Bradley Cooper movie, the A-Team from a couple of years ago, when their helicopter sequence in their opening bit is more accurate than yours, you have failed miserably. (laughs) They flew a tank in the A-Team. Which made more sense than what they had the helicopter do in this movie. (laughs) Um, So yeah, Mexico was a clusterfuck for me, and it's probably the worst part of the movie, to be honest with you. I know you're... It's not the it's not the best, but I mean, it, you want really? me to pick out if I had to pick out a worst part of this movie, just kind of flat out worst. I actually really do not care for the final kind of chase sequence. I really don't. Okay, I thought it, it was fine. De- well, there are aspects that, again. It seems deeply tacked on that Christoph Waltz just happened to catch the girl again. I, look, if that whole thing winds up actually being a bluff, how much better is that? Right. That seemed a bit tacked on again. All of the stuff with M and C, uh, trying to again trying to stop because yeah, it goes online in five minutes. You must type faster because computers respond to faster keystrokes. No, <laughs> no, no. Again. Hollywood writers know nothing about computer functionality and aviation. Absolutely nothing. Or poker. Uh, no one who wrote that movie knew anything about poker, at least. There are writers in Hollywood who know about poker, but... Again, no one involved in Casino Royale, apparently. <laughs> Ugh. 
That's it. But, uh, I mean, and again, the, my gripe there is I've seen poker portrayed accurately in movies. I have never seen a terribly accurate portrayal of how computers really work or what you can do in a helicopter or an airplane. Those tend to be things they overlook. So I mentioned it before. The movie goes forward from the idiotic Mexico scene to our introduction in London uh, to a funeral where where Bond runs into Monica Bellucci and then follows her to her house uh, where Spectre is trying to kill her and he saves her. And then there's the rapey interrogation scene. Now, once again, big fan of Monica Bellucci. She she is definitely on she's despite the fact that she's certainly showing her age, she's definitely still on my list of of uh you know, people I'm allowed to cheat on my wife with. And she knows that. My wife knows that. Monica Bellucci's right up there with Selma Hayek. Um got a thing for the ethnic woman, sorry. But uh, yeah, I racist. I'll buy a racist. But not since Matt Damon and, um, oh, God, what's her name from Goodwill Hunting? Couldn't tell you. I haven't seen it. Oh, shit. Hang on. Um, but, yeah, there's the, a the scene in Goodwill Hunting with the uh, with the gal who, who's in the movie, uh, uh, the, the Minnie Driver. The, yeah, towards the end of the movie, there's, there's a scene with Minnie Driver and Matt Damon um, where Matt Damon purposely shit-cans the relationship uh, because she's gotten too close to him and starting and starting to hit raw nerves uh, to sort of send him into a spiral, and so he goes out of his way to emote to uh, to to verbally hurt her so that she'll leave him and you know and he he can you know keep his protective co- uh, covering on his emotional protective covering. And I swear to God, not since Matt not, Matt Damon hurt her mini driver's feelings have I felt that much compassion for any woman on film. Jesus Christ! I was—I tell you, film should make you feel something, and this movie succeeded because I wanted to jump through the screen and protect Monica Bellucci from James Bond. And then when they actually have him captured, which we should probably talk about next before time runs out, when they—that you know, is one of the few times I've ever felt like James Bond was an actual peril. Like I felt bad for the guy, and the only other time. That I, that I can recall feeling bad for him and feeling like he was in like, legit peril is Casino Royale where he was taking the ropes to the balls. But, but back to Monica Bellucci here. Yeah, I, that scene made me incredibly uncomfortable. And I'm not even sure life works that way. You know, on the one hand, he's questioning her. She doesn't really want to give him information. And so he's, like, pressuring her to... <sighs> I just want... I don't, you don't watch the show because I'm sure you and everybody else think it's awful. But uh, I just watched Gotham, uh, Monday's episode of Gotham. I watched it today. And there's a scene where they've got Barbara uh, Keene, who in the comics is Barbara Gordon, um, and they got her in for questioning, and or she, she's given herself up, and they're trying to question her. And this is all an elaborate trap here for, for, uh, for Detective Gordon. And in the midst of him questioning her, he decides he's going to kiss her. And it brought me back to the whole Monica Bellucci James Bond sequence. And I'm like, what is going on in Hollywood? Why does anyone think this works? Like, you can't be kissing suspects. You, you know, you, you, I don't know if it's just a hot idea to be doing it, you know, when you're out like, as a field agent 
it's just weird. And I know James Bond always gets the girl, but it reminds me of a joke that my friend used to tell about James Bond. You know, it's like James Bond isn't so much as, you know, suave, debonair, ladies' man, so much as he is a rapist. You know, I, I'm, you're the only person who's brought that up. Uh, you really are. And oh, I'm a uh, again, well, I think we also have all accepted that James Bond is a, in the words of Daniel Craig, mind you, a blatant misogynist. Rapist, I think, is the word we're looking for here. I don't think that's an accurate word in this instance. I mean, uh, and again, everyone watches these things and is going to get different. I, I didn't get that. Was but, it the family guy who said a thousand no's and one, a thousand no's and one yes means yes? Was that family guy? Probably. That seems like something Quagmire would say, or Seth MacFarlane would practice in real life. But they were making fun of James Bond when they said it, is my point. Uh, again, it sounds like something they would say. Yeah, it, I, I'd fine if I'm the only one that, that saw it that way. Look, people may have looked at them like, ooh, that's hot. Yeah, treat me like the whore that I am, James Bond. Smack me around a bit. Okay, weirdos. It, it, I didn't like it. Made me, made me, gave me the willies. Well acted scene, it's fine. Monica Bellucci's awesome, but yeah, she was. Is. I felt like she needed to be saved. I mean, like, you know, like I could I could throw that up against what happens to the poor best and boys don't cry. And I'm like, nope, Monica Bellucci in worse danger. That's deeply <laughs> inaccurate on so many levels. It's not entirely amusing. <laughs> I'm sorry. Go on. <laughs> Uh, I have to. Uh, I have a gripe with the promotional material for this movie, the same way that I imagine Star Trek fans did with Into Darkness. I had another example of this crap. What was it? It'll come to me. But in all the promotional materials and all the discussions and whatnot, Christoph Waltz's character is referred to as Franz Oberhaus. Anyone who knows anything about James Bond mythology and sees what he is in just the previews, just the trailers, not the actual movie, just the trailers, looks at Christoph Waltz and goes, oh, come on, he's Blofeld. <laughs> now, there are two ways you can do this. If you're in the position that you know Sam Mendes and whatnot is, you either have him simply be the character of Blofeld under a different name, in which case everyone shuts up and goes along with it. Sure, you get the whiners who go, but yeah, Blofeld right there, why not use him? Eh, who knows? Who cares? You get the same character in spirit, then who cares what name it goes by? You're not necessarily adding or detracting anything. They chose to go the same route that J.J. Abrams thought was a good idea. No, no, Benedict Cumberbatch. No, why would he be playing Khan? This isn't a remake of Wrath of Khan. This is Into Darkness. Completely different character. His name's Harrison. Yeah, he's a bit of a Superman, and we're not quite sure what's going on with him, and okay, Kurt, yeah, fine, he's playing Khan. What bothers me about this is in the movie itself, Star Trek Into Darkness, which is a terrible movie, Absolutely terrible. Riddled. Riddled (laughs) with plot holes and inconsistencies. And I know you and I didn't review Into Darkness, but bad movie. 
I think uh, when Jeff Harris and I from 401mania.com, reviewer extraordinaire, uh, reviewed it together, I believe my comment was, well, I was entertained until I realized this was a bad cover song of Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, and then I got really irritated. Uh, which is kind of how I felt about Jurassic World. It's just a cover song of Jurassic Park. Dinosaur Triple Threat Max. However, not the time or place. <laughs> the point being, again, no, no, Christoph Waltz is not playing Blofeld. Well, no, yeah, fine, he's playing Blofeld. I mean, that revelation, and the, it bugged me with Star Trek Into Darkness because he says, like it's supposed to mean something, no, my name is Khan. That means dick to anyone in that universe. <laughs> James Kirk's response should have been a thumbs up. Well, good on you, buddy. You don't look Asian, but good for you. And walks out. I think I said, I think I said something similar in the actual review. I am Khan. Well, good for you. And I, and I kind of did it like, like it should have been handled like an Eddie Izzard bit. I am Khan, so you are. Very good, sir. Yes, very good, sir. Would you like some more wine with it? No, it's stupid. <laughs> And I have that same gripe here. All you did by having him say, no, no, Franz Oberhauser died. The person you're speaking to is Ernst Stavro Blofeld. All you have done is be disingenuous to the point of insulting to the fans that that actually means something to. And you've achieved nothing with fans who it means nothing to. So all you've done is piss off a portion of your audience. Good job. Yeah, it had no. I, I'm not the world's biggest James Bond fan, so it meant nothing to me. Like, I don't. Even if I've watched movies where Blofeld was a thing, I don't remember it. So when so the big reveal in there, I you know it was very very similar feeling to okay, good for you. Next, like, Which, I got like uh, I was I was more interested in the you know in the connection of, to them as um, as children. Oh, you know, how badly was that you, handled? You, you were the adopted brother that I never wanted. Now, there's something, another story similar to this. Uh, oh, fucking Thor and Loki, duh. Um, you know, it, only it's reversed in this instance. And this is like, oh, my father favored you, and you didn't favor me, and I've always hated you for it, and it's taken me 52 years, but I'm finally going to have my revenge. All right? <laughs> How little sense did that make? I mean... Look, it's a nice theory to have, oh, yes, Christoph Waltz is, I believe his line is the author of all your pain. Okay, it's a great line, but nothing you show backs that up. Well, they've been, they set it up, no, that's not totally true, because they set it up through the whole movie that things that have happened since the... Oh, yes, this mythical ring that is somehow inexplicably connected with all of the major villains from the previous three movies. I was going to say orchestrated by Blofeld, including all the the deaths of the various women around him, was all supposed to be orchestrated by Blofeld. Um, Well, fine, let's throw in a flashback or two showing him actually do it. He talks, he says to James Bond, you've been so close to me so many times but never seen me. Right. You, uh, hey, been, how about a flashback to him and the, you know. They should have done a usual the, suspect after that and just kind of shown, like, him in the background of these various scenes from the movies. Hey, I'll give you this. It felt a little Scooby-Doo. It felt a little, and I would have gotten away with it, too, if it wasn't for you damn 007s. Okay. But it was, but I, but since I was really taken in by his explanation of their relationship, that I gave it a pass. Wow. 
It will, and that's it a fascinating backstory for them. That's a great. I mean, you can't get a more personal motivation than that. Right. That should have been, and again, pro- handled properly. You know, with hints maybe given throughout the movie, so that we're not having to have a big exposition dump. Look, you want to, I mean, again, you want to fill out some of that time on the train if you're going to insist on having it instead of them falling madly in love. He talks about, you know, his long-lost brother. Right. I mean, there are, again, there are things that you should do in this instance to prevent an exposition dump. This is all designed to give revelations, dialogue, and acting actual weight and gravitas, which is completely robbed of, the scenes are robbed of this absolutely robbed of them because we have to talk about eight different things. Right. I mean, it's a, Hey, shut up. Sorry. My dogs are apparently think that someone knocking on the door across the street and over three houses is worthy of attention. Tell you what's worthy of attention. The scene, you know, the, the, and I, I want to talk, we have about 16 minutes of live time left. And that was with me adding a half an hour to this discussion. So (laughs) move this along. Um, yeah. I want to quick talk. I want to quick talk about the uh, him the, the whole sequence leading up to him be, um, being c- captured. I thought, first of all, given how it ends, thinking back, it's sort of a weird setup. They essentially walk into the enemy into the evil uh, into the evil guy's headquarters. They're treated like hotel guests. They're given this tour, and everyone's politely talking about murdering one another. And then finally, that's a very James Bond thing. To, that's a very James Bond thing to do. It that happens frequently to James Bond. It was a, it was a little weird, but I was like, all right, whatever. Um, not entirely sure what the plan here was, but uh, you know, but the, 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 to me, leading up to the big reveal that he allowed uh, Mister White to kill himself, and you know, you have the daughter there now, you know, conflicted about what's happened. Which then they did nothing with. Um, I was, you know, because I like the way that that all plays out, and you can see. Oh, and Bond freaking out about of all the things you could have shown. Right. Yeah. You know, Bond in uh, very much letting his guard down at that point, and sounding like a real human being who was horrified by something he's done recently. I was like, okay, I I dig it, and I really like the way that that it all played out. And then you have this scene where, where he's basically being tortured by having the, by, by having these drills into his head. I really wish I really wish they had talked more about what those actually did because it seemed a little rushed. Anything. That's the problem. Like I know I get my this first again he drills into his skull, says, "Well, this should mess with your vision and balance." Well, not so much apparently. Right, because he's fucking Superman. And then the next one, he's supposed to forget everybody he's ever met, and that doesn't happen either. And I'm like, that's a very inaccurate drill, I guess. Like, I guess he moved enough where it didn't quite hit the nerve it was supposed to. I was like, on the one hand, I, oh, he, I, I don't know how he's going to get out of this. He seems trapped. It's, you know, it's, they did a very good job of building up the tension in that scene. On the other hand, they then canceled out all they the threats. None of that things. shit actually works. I mean, so if he gets up... But what he should do is get up and have issues with his balance. You know, he has to lean on the wall while he's trying to run. (laughs) That's the thing. It's like, you know, it should have been sort of like a Finding Nemo moment with Dory 
he should have like he should have actually had memory loss there for a while. I mean, I don't know. Someone hit him over the head, and he's like, I start to remember things again. But yeah, like, because head trauma is clearly the you know key to reversing head trauma. You know, in the movies, we've seen head trauma cure blindness. I can see again, but who am I? Um, makes me laugh. In any case. Yeah, it was a very, it, um, like I said, on the one hand, very tense. I thought I felt like Bond was actually in trouble, and I was wondering, ooh, how is he going to get out of this? Whereas in times where, I, where I've seen him before, I'm like, I don't buy any of what's happening here. I'm just waiting for the escape. Um, but on the other hand, it was very silly. And then they blow the place up, well, Robert Rodriguez style, and we're into the final sequence. Um, uh, that bothered my, me so much. You cannot fire an AK-47 one-handed. My father's big gripe with that was when they when they escape from the top level of the building and fall onto a couch. <laughs> and he's like, "Come on!" It was actually that from the Mexico dead. scene. No, oh, was that the Mexico scene? That's the Mexico. Okay, scene. no, you're right. You're right. In, in, at the end, they jump into a net. They conveniently place net. Which you know, I actually dislike that less because it would make sense for you know a spy headquarters to have an escape route that Bond would still know about. See, my thought was there's been construction there, they, they, you know, or whatever. They, there's holes in the walls and things, so they put the net there in case in case a worker fell. I mean, again, there's plenty of le- there are plenty of legitimate reasons for there to be a large net at the bottom of a construction site. That's not a joke. There are legitimate right. reasons. Sure. So that's it, though. I mean, I don't remember enough of the end sequence at this point to to really say one one thing. I know what you're talking about as far as the one shot in the helicopter, and I kind of giggled at that. But, but again, if you don't have a, a certain amount, uh, I'm, I'm more okay with Bond doing crazy things that no human being could actually do than I am him taking fucking video game damage <laughs> and, and, and being able to live through it. I have more of a problem with that. Eh, that's fair. So overall, uh, I would recommend this movie if you don't have attention deficit disorder. Or um, if you didn't think Minions was a better uh, animated feature than Inside Out. I'd say Minions was funnier than Inside Out. Oh, for fuck's sake. Actually, I went on Box Office Mojo because it was really bothering me that Minions made more than Inside Out. It didn't make Why? more. In, it, I'm not having this conversation with you now. Um, we'll save it, for the, save it for the end of the year review. But I did, my, I did some research, and I feel better now because it makes sense. In the United States... It's domestic gross. Inside Out actually beats Minions. Unfortunately, it did like 800 million foreign, which Inside Out did not do. So that's how it did million. Why is this surprising? Well, it, it, it's not surprising that foreign in foreign markets, in, uh, Minions beats Inside Out by like you know a huge margin. I'm okay with that. Them foreigners, they don't speak English. You know, nonsense. Not, you know, nonsense strung together one scene after another translates very well in different languages, as opposed to Inside Out. I got it. I'm okay with that. And again, I'd say Minions was funnier, but uh, I'm glad you feel better about it. I, I hope someone runs into your room and gives you a pie in the face. Uh, I would like a pie, actually. In the face. Anyone within my anyone within the sound of my voice who happens to know me personally, I could use a pie. In the face, though. Give him a pie in the face. Eh, 
I'll accept as long as I get to keep the pie. Banana okay cream pie, that. right? Banana cream no, pie. No, no, no. Not banana cream pie. Contact me. I will specify the pie. And put it right in his face. Um, I believe that to so be yeah, an acceptable our... trade-off. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that, that's my recommendation. And if you can tolerate sort of a slow-moving movie and sort of appreciate that this is not supposed to be Fast and the Furious British version, absolutely go see it. If you are expecting yeah. this to be Skyfall 2, Electric Boogaloo, fucking skip it. Much as I like Skyfall, uh, it is far from a perfect Bull. movie. Bull. Bull. And, uh, again, much as I like Skyfall, and I really do, I Bull. think... Look, my love of that movie tends to stem from Javier Bardem being the best Bond villain ever. He, made, he played a very good Joker, you're right. Let a better Joker than half the Jokers. Well, there's no argument there. But anyway, uh, that's where again, that's where a lot of my love of that movie comes from. And again, I just this is a very different movie. In many ways, it's better. In some ways, not so much. Uh. But know what you're getting into. Again, this is a much slower movie. You have to pay attention to what's going on. And it's a throwback to, again, a patient movie that tries to let people actually act. And then mucks up, you know, the story continuity, proper pacing, and, you know, properly reaching a plot, you know, conclusion. But... God damn it, people acted in a movie. I've seen I've seen plenty of movies with people acting, and this was a yeah, this was not a bad one. Uh, I mean, again, there's a few things that just you know not quite so much. Uh, the chick, the one he falls in love with, was a little in a little bit over her head here. I liked her when she was drunk. I imagine. Uh, Daniel Craig's Bond is a tad uh, bipolar. He's a little hot and cold in this one, with very little in between. On the plus side, they do a halfway decent job of making it somewhat narratively acceptable by what he's going through. Ray Fiennes does very little other than glower, uh, which is sad because Ray Fiennes can be awesome. Andrew Scott is nothing but a cocky little prick you want to see pushed down a flight of stairs. On the plus side, he gets pushed down a flight of stairs, so yay. Uh, their version of Money Penny does nothing. Uh, Q, I like their Q. I really do. Uh, it took a while to find someone who could actually replace Desmond Llewellyn, and they found someone who could do it. So good for that. And Christoph Waltz is, again, I don't understand why only Quentin Tarantino can make full use of Christoph Waltz's talents. There are legitimately great actors who have kind of just crumbled under the weight of Tarantino's dialogue. They can't handle the poetry in it. They can't handle the rhythm and the timing, and it just kind of falls apart. And he thrives under it. And then uh, Sam Mendes is a fine director, but for some reason, uh, just wasn't able to... Again, this Christoph Waltz should have supplanted... Javier Bardem from the last movie is the best Bond villain ever. And sadly, that does not happen. 
if I were to, you know, sum up my review again, I'll, I'm, I'm with Mark. Have patience. Know what you're getting into when you go see this because it's very, very good. I just feel it should have been great, and it fell short of that mark. Fair enough. All right. Uh, what have we got to plug? Because I don't think there's a whole lot else to say about this one. Well, a week from tonight, we will be reviewing the other movie that came out this weekend and was a box office smash, uh, The Peanuts. Certainly overperformed. I look forward to, ta- to telling all of those people, good grief, you ruined Charlie Brown, that your heads are so far up your ass you can't see daylight. Yeah, that's that's going to be an unfortunate discussion. Um, I've, I've well, already I mean, we had to, Look, let me say this. Oh, as far as the some of the reviews of this Bond movie... Because I've heard a few varying complaints. One of them was, all of you who whined and griped about Bond getting gadgets, you got your wish, and it ruined the franchise. That is not accurate. That is not accurate at all. Right. Your your criticism in that regard is completely unwarranted. Agreed. And there are a lot of there have been some people who have complained that no, you took the Peanuts characters and you killed them and wah, you've ruined this and I I hope, let me say this the reviews I have read so far from people I trust are you know, disagree with you strongly and after I see the movie if I agree that it's good, I'm going to disagree with you strongly as well so we'll be reviewing that next week and that'll be yeah, fun. Yeah, we're talking about the peanuts. I'll tell you right now. Uh, yeah, spoiler alert. It was great. It was perfect. It was everything a peanuts movie should have been. And my daughter liked peppermint patty. So you've raised a lesbian. Good job. Well, not only that, but she also like she also for some odd reason she was after a beat. She started the whole ride home. She talked about uh, she was actually the new girl in her school. And I was talking to my wife about that. I'm like, what? You know, like. Like, she, she said she thought the Peppermint Patty character was funny and she liked her. But then the whole ride home, she was like, she, Lily seems to put herself in the stories that she watches. And in this particular case, she put herself in as the new girl in school, the little redhead girl. And I was like, why do you think she did that? And we were kind of talking. My wife didn't see the movie, but she, you know, she's, she's very good at reading my daughter and figuring out where, where, the, where the hell her head is, especially when she loses me. And her takeaway was that the little redheaded girl got all the attention um, and it was made a big deal of. And, and so that's sort of, sort of Lily sort of put herself in that position, you know, because she wants that kind of attention. You know, she, she wants the entire classroom to be paying attention to her and thinks she's special. So, um, but it's fine when you're four going on five. So, yeah, all uh, children are narcissists. Unfortunately, we've also stopped removing that trend from that trait from them as they grow. Well, like I said, four going on five. Let me let her have her let her have her childhood, damn it. Uh, but yeah, we okay. were talking more. Yeah, well, given that you know you and I, this that speaks to a larger issue that you and I are probably going to wind up discussing in our year-end review, because for some reason we have become so narcissistic and insecure as a society that we have to confuse things we like with things that are good. I like it, therefore it is good. How dare you tell me I'm wrong? It's now a personal attack. Well, I don't want to be here. You're wrong. That says a lot about our messenger group, but that's also another conversation. In any case, it's society at large. 
<laughs> we will be talking about the Peanuts movie a week from tonight. I know it'll be a little bit late, but I didn't want to do two. I didn't want to do yet another split review. So uh, and no, I we both give... wanted to see both of these movies. You know that that was the right. thing with the split review was you weren't going to see Paranormal Activity and you couldn't pay. Well, you could, but it was unreasonable to expect to be paid to see Gem and the Holograms. <laughs> uh, already out of theaters, by the way. So yes, uh, we're going to do an entire. Go to the peanuts, and then the, then there's a break, and when we come back, we'll be doing uh, the good dinosaur, and then Star Wars, and then the hateful eight, and then we're done for the year. And somewhere in the middle of that. Our year-end review is after peanuts, though, right? No, our year-end review is after the good dinosaur. Okay. Um, tomorrow night on the long road to tomorrow night on the metal hammer of doom. Uh, my favorite show of the year. I've been looking You're forward rolling. to this all year. Rolling, 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 baby. We will be reviewing the uh, greatest hit album from Limp Biscuit. Myself, Jesse Starter, and Robert Cooper, we will do it all for the Nookie at 10.30 on the Metal Hammer of Doom. And a week from tomorrow at 9 o'clock, uh, we'll be look- along the road to ruin, we'll be taking on the Chronicles of Riddick. Yes, the Chronicles of Riddick, ladies and gentlemen. And on December 3rd, uh, as our last long road to ruin of the year, we will be looking at the Mighty Ducks trilogy. Uh, and that about wraps it up for... The fact that Ben turned you into Nelson made me laugh. I thought that was hysterical. I told him, I said, that Jaws and the Dark Knight trilogy are probably like my three favorites that he's done. Now, I think it's kind of a crying shame that uh, he never got to do Sean and I's for the Hellraiser franchise. Because, well, that was the show that kind of where Sean first put out, you know, we might be looking for a title card artist. That was one mm-hmm. of the ones that he listened to, uh, you know, as it's one of my favorites. I mean, no offense. It's one of the favorites, you know, Long Road to Ruins that I've done. And I've done a few with you and Sean. Uh, he and I getting together and both praising and destroying Hellraiser alternately, depending on which movies we're talking about. Uh, even with the issues that Blog Talk Radio was having at the time, I uh, just had a lot of fun with those. So I think it, uh, I'm sad that I will never see, you know, what that title card would have been. Maybe uh, we can get Ben one day to do the long road tour and the lost episodes because we, we, we there were quite a few that we did well before he came on board. I would have loved to see what he would do with you guys in Jurassic Park. Yeah, or Scream, or Paranormal Activity. Or Spider Man or Rocky. Um though I think he did end up doing one for Rocky, didn't he? he I think yeah, he did for your third one. Because you guys took so yeah. long to get around to it. <laughs> yeah. And someday we may even get back to the uh, the Jack Ryan franchise. Um you have stuff to plug. You have a big pay per view this Saturday. Mm-mm. Oh boy. <laughs> uh well first of all this Friday, unless something changes, uh everyone loves a bad guy will be looking at movie monsters. I was going to do it last week, but you guys for Long Road to Ruin needed the Friday slot. I'm a team player, and I don't mind taking a week off between shows. I might switch to an every-other-week format. I'm not completely sure. But this week, movie monsters uh, in the vein of, you know, Godzilla, King Kong, the Predator Alien, Xenomorphs, the Graboids, things of that nature. So... Uh, if anyone wants to, I, I don't have a co-host lined up for that one, so I might be looking for one, or I'll just, you know, open up the phone lines, talk about some of my favorites, see if anyone wants you to, to, you know. Do you talk about Joel Schumacher? 
Well, not just he is a monster. <laughs> he, he's history's greatest monster, don't you know? Eh, no, if I were going to talk about filmmakers who give me nightmares, it would be Ben Stiller. Okay. Yeah, seriously, on. he's writing and directing Zoolander 2, and it makes me want to kill things. <laughs> well, it's not on a list of things to see, so there. I, again, I would have had to tap out. I could not have done it. You, That's okay, I would never make you. You would have to pay me a lot of money to make to get me to sit through that crap. Well, like I said, you don't have to. Instead, we'll if be it were possible it. to physically vomit from my eyeballs, <laughs> that is preferable. Well, like I said, we'll be seeing something else that week. Ugh, probably just about as bad. What are we seeing that week, anyway? Deadpool. Yes, that's right. Another one that movie's going to suck. Another one that's going to make just billions and billions of dollars. I don't think it's going to make that much. Millions and millions of dollars, baby. It will. I think it will be financially successful. I don't think it's going to be a smash hit. My son I is don't crying. Think... My son is currently crying. You're upsetting him. Sorry. But I don't think that movie is going to have legs. I think you're going to get a bunch of people who go see it opening weekend because for some reason they think Deadpool's cool, which is not true at all. Deadpool is what happens when stupid in-jokes gain traction among the common people who don't understand them, and then Hollywood executives go, bam, everyone loves this money. They're upsetting my son. But I'm not wrong. And that I apologize to your son for the crappy world we have created that he must live in. <laughs> He's sitting here crying, saying, dinosaurs and Deadpool make billions of dollars. I don't understand you. Let him stick with the dinosaurs. I tried to make him watch the uh, Everything Wrong with Jurassic World in 15 minutes, and he was literally doing a yay boo type of thing, where anytime the humans were on the screen, he was like, he'd scream, I want to, you know, like that he wanted to get off my lap and didn't want to watch. But as soon as dinosaurs appeared, he was like, eh. and he was like, ooh, eh, eh. and then the humans, and then Chris Pratt would come back on. He was like, nah, get off, I don't want to get down. And then dinosaurs would pop back on. He was like, eh. uh, I again, you and I talked at length about Jurassic World and my issues with it. Mm-hmm. And I don't dislike Jurassic World. I enjoyed it. It was fun. It was a fun cover song of a much better song. Highest grossing movie of the year until Star Wars comes out. I'm gonna laugh if Star Wars doesn't if Star Wars doesn't supplant it. And look, and you and I also know quite we know very well financial return is no indicator of cinematic quality. No, it is not. Appeal to as many people as possible. That's how you make money with you know action <laughs> movies. Uh, all right. So again, we'll be back next week talking about Charlie Brown and the Peanuts Gang. Ah, oh, that's that's gonna be fun. You know those. <laughs> no, no, seriously. The you know the Peanuts comic strip and uh, Calvin and Hobbes did all, you know, were a big part of my childhood. Even though you know I'm quite a few years removed from when they were in first run circulation, 
I was still a big fan of you know, both of those properties, so I'm looking forward to that one. And, again, so everyone loves a bad guy, we'll have Movie Monsters on Friday. This Saturday, UFC 193, Rousey versus Holm, and Yendieshek versus Letourneau, live from Melbourne, Australia. They're hoping to sell 70,000 seats. Break their own record. Might do it, too. Uh, that pay-per-view is going to do serious, serious numbers. They could use Pitch. it this year. They've actually had a pretty good year uh, for pay-per-views. I was surprised when I started kind of going through it. I mean, you had a few of the down ones, but you've had some, you've had some successes this year. Oh yeah. I mean, you, no, they they've done they've done pretty okay, but they they they, they need more. Is my point. They they always want more. And look, if this doesn't break over a million buys, it will be a considered a failure. That's where we all are with this right now. Uh, the first pre- Sorry, what was that? I suspect it gets over a million. I would be surprised if it doesn't. On and I don't say that lightly. Honestly, I think it will. Ronda Rousey against Brazilian pig hostage did almost a million buys. Right. And that card had nothing going for it other than Rousey at the top. Right. This one's actually you got the, uh, the second coming of uh, Mark Hunt and Bigfoot. You've got another That's heavyweight match. Be, that had damn well better end inside of two minutes. <laughs> Bigfoot no longer has his magical horse steroids. <laughs> and Mark Hunt is not what he used to be. Mark Hunt should knock him stupid very, very quickly. You got a strawweight title fight in the co-main event, and they've done a pretty good job of promoting it. It, this one is not just the Ronda Rousey show. Ronda Rousey is the headline, but there is other stuff to this card. Uh, the first prelim will kick off at what 4.15 me, so that's 6.15 p.m. Eastern Standard Time uh, on Fight Pass. I will have your live coverage over at 411 Mania, so stop by and say hello. I appreciate it. I appreciate Mark's continued vote of confidence every time I tackle one of those substandard shows. That <laughs> never fails to I get a chuckle out of those every time. I'm glad you do. I, I especially do it for the ones I know I don't think anyone's watching so that you don't feel alone. I have to ask you if you might be willing to do a Bellator card in February. I'm always willing to do one every once in a while. Give, well, give you a- the main event for Bellator's February event is Ken Shamrock versus Hoist Gracie 3. Oh, is this the one with fucking uh, Donna 5000? Whoever the... I don't know. That doesn't sound like a name. That, that's the one with Kimbo Slice. Yes, Kevin Ferguson is returning to fight Dude. Uh, yeah, I believe it's Dada 5000. Apparently this is some kind of like Miami street fight wet dream. Yeah, I'm all, I'm all up for it. Absolutely. But those, yeah, that's your main event and co-main event. And they announced it and I wanted to vomit. <laughs> I, I mean, on look, the, I accept Freak Show fights. On the other hand, I it's do. right up my alley. I accept that Freak Show fights exist. I'm to a degree okay with it. This, though, 
this. Because we needed to close out the trilogy between Ken Shamrock and Hoist Gracie. Their last fight was 20 years ago. Think about that. There are people in college right now who were not alive the last time these two fought. Yep. Uh, anyway, I got you covered. Don't worry about it. If that winds up being a thing, I I I might have to you know use my once every eight months or so break in case of emergency. Hammer. <laughs> I got you covered. Uh, all right. So my woes about Bellator's status in the MMA world, notwithstanding. I. Uh, and then this coming Sunday at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, myself and Jeff Harris will be on the 411 Ground and Pound radio show. We'll be reviewing UFC 193. We'll be previewing, oh, the Ultimate Fighter Latin America 2. Yeah, the Ultimate Fighter Latin America 2 finale. Headlined by Neil Magny, taking on Kelvin Gastelum. Fun fact about this fight. This is Neil Magny's fifth fight in the year of 2015. Neil Magny fought five times in 2014. I can't think of anyone who has ten fights in the UFC in two years. That man keeps a beastly schedule. I think Donald Cerrone used to be up there, didn't he, where he, like, he fought a whole bunch of times? Uh, he had five fights in one calendar year once. But now, you know, he gets injured and he's a head case and he's going to try and become champion. And once you're champion, you fight once a year. And he missed the drug Those test. Those are the rules. Those are the rules. You become UFC the champion, you fight once a year. Right. Or if, if that. Um, didn't he just also miss a drug test? Who, Cerrone? Yeah. Uh, yeah, he did miss one. He didn't. I I don't know if this was I, I don't know anything about it other than uh the tester did not make contact with him. Okay. I don't know if this is an issue of they didn't know where he was at the time when they tried to do administer a random test or <laughs> what, but we, we lost Donald Cerrone. Donald Cerrone's a little crazy. So yeah, he went scuba diving in Lake Powell. That's not a joke. That's something he does. All right. Are we done here? Yeah, I believe we're done here. All right. Again, we'll all be Mark and I will be back next week. Uh, thank you all for listening. Thank you for tuning in. We appreciate, you know, comments, criticisms, suggestions on improving the show. Uh, you're, whether you agree with us or disagree with us, we thank you for listening. Uh, if you want to follow us and get updates and, you know, be able to listen uninterrupted, you can follow us on iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, and Stitcher. Uh, those are the, generally speaking, the methods of distribution. If you want consistent updates about shows, scheduling, general thoughts, things of that nature, you can like us on Facebook. We are the Radlich and Broadcasting Network. That's R-A-D-U-L-I-C-H, and we're the only broadcasting network with that name attached to us. But we've got the market cornered. <laughs> so you can like us on Facebook, and you'll get consistent updates from us. We all link all of our shows through there as well. You can, you know, 
talk with us. You can make fun of us. You can make comments or suggestions. You can post your support. All of that, we appreciate it all. And that's all my plugs. That's all Mark's plugs. So for Mark Radulich, I'm Robert Winfrey. We're back next week for Peanuts. Until then, be well, be safe, and behave. And here's just a little bit of insight into what goes through every studio executive's head. Work, damn it. <laughs>